You're listening to the official podcast of Asbury University, produced by students with God-honoring conversations that inform, edify, and encourage. This is Asbury. We explore culture and current topics through a Christian worldview, promoting a well-balanced life, and we empower our community to belong, become, and be set apart. I'm your host, Abby Lobb. Welcome to This is Asbury. To this is Asbury. Today we have with us Dr. Paul Nesselrod, who is also an Asbury graduate from the class of 1989. You are entering your 22nd year at Asbury. In addition to teaching psychology, you serve as the chair of the psychology department here at Asbury and the director of the honors program. So you're busy. You were a soccer coach at one point. You've kind of done it all. <laughs> So Dr. Nesselrode has also published a lot of research on a wide variety of topics, such as in-group biases, self-other perceptions, mindfulness, and the uses and misuses of scientific imagery in authority in regards to the intrinsic value of humans. So what we're going to talk about today uh, primarily is your work with the Human Dignity Tour, which you're approaching trip number 10 with the Human Dignity Tour. Uh, Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell us just a little bit about what that is and where you take the students and what that trip involves. It's a Holocaust-themed study abroad experience where I take students to Germany and Poland, and uh, we basically go to the physical places and the museums and the memorials associated with what happened during the Nazi period in Central Europe. And I know I've heard a lot of students say that they, you know, they had heard about the Holocaust growing up, but they didn't really understand the full extent of what happened. I think that's really powerful that you can help them understand that a little bit more deeply. So I love that the Human Dignity Tour also kind of ties into what you do with the Honors Program theme. So the Honors Program here at Asbury is fairly new, and you guys study virtue and human value, which is probably not typical of an Honors Program. I love that Asbury does that. So in your work as the Honors Program Director and also the Human Dignity Tour leader, you naturally get into very deep conversations with students about interesting and sensitive and difficult topics. So for students in 2023 who are raised in a very digital and very rapidly changing world, what do these concepts mean to them and and how are they uniquely wrestling with them? Yeah, good question. When it comes to the idea of intrinsic human value, I think that students are both quite certain about it and yet also confused. In our post-Christian world, and certainly Christian students, uh, recognize that people are to be valued intrinsically. Um, And in this way, I think they're kind of ahead of the game from previous generations who maybe were more likely to tie value to functionality tests or social position, like Germany is a good example, Nazi Germany. So they're certain that human dignity exists, but in a deeper sense, when they're pressed, I'm not sure they're aware of how necessarily this concept hinges to a transcendent creator, bestowing it from the outside, as it were, that that's a necessary component. I think they think it's just self-justifying. It's true just because it's true. And so when students begin to see that outside of a Christian framework, this concept is vulnerable, I think it prompts a lot of thought. And they begin to see that nature is a poor candidate for grounding human dignity. Abstract principles are as well. And 
this is empowering for Christian students. They start to see the muscle that is uniquely associated with thinking Christianly about identity and value. And as they get downstream, they recognize from that idea, from that necessity, they recognize that creators create with purposes. They have ends. And we sense these ends as obligations. And yet we also realize we're free not to oblige them. So now the concept of virtue rises to the surface. So it's not just virtues of personal habit, but also virtues regarding how we're to relate to others who are also endowed by their creator with dignity and value and who also experience obligations and yet are also free not to oblige them. And so the moral landscape sort of comes alive in a new way. I love that connection of human value and virtue and how they really both have to be present for humans to to thrive, obviously. And so this was not something, as we know, that was present in Nazi Germany. So on the Human Dignity Tour, um, what do the students experience while they're on that tour? Yeah, so we basically have two hubs, Berlin and Krakow. And we start in Berlin, uh, where we visit memorials and museums that deal with uh, the Nazi euthanasia programs. Uh, we move on to a couple of concentration camps that are reachable by regional trains, namely Sachsenhausen, just north of the city, and then Ravensbrück, a, a farther pitch away. And then we go to Krakow in Poland, where we walk through the city's ghetto memorial and tour a museum related to the experience of Jews and Poles during Nazi occupation. And then on one of our last days, near the end, we go to Auschwitz one and two. It's actually two camps, different stories for each one. And we spend the entire day there. And it's our hardest day. We usually finish the tour with some structured discussions around a video we watch together that highlights the story of the people of La Chambon, a community in south central France who gave shelter to upwards of 5,000 Jews at one time or another as they were trying to make their way out of Europe. So this is something, sort of a hopeful point to end, a very dark experience. Now, we do other things when we're on the trip. We enjoy the beautiful cities of Berlin and Krakow. We get to speak with State Department personnel at the embassy there in Berlin. And we also take a day trip to Wittenberg because it's close and it's Wittenberg. So it's not a two week long, just shroud of darkness. There's something powerful about standing in the place. So out of that experience, what are the key learning objectives for the students on the trip? I try not to present them as like lessons learned, although that's where we all want to jump to. And the impulse is natural and it's good, but I think it's a temptation for us to instrumentalize what happened and to make it about us. Mm. And I want to first challenge the students to focus on the story itself and to think of the lessons learned as a secondary part of the purpose of the experience. And this is difficult to sort of think about. There's this sort of natural impulse to say, okay, well, what is in here for me? And that's true. I mean, if there's no lessons to learn, what are we doing? And yet, I don't want to rush to that so quickly that they don't let it sink in. I mean, the primary objective is for students to learn what happened in sufficient detail so they can take it in, let it sink in. I mean, we live now in a post-Auschwitz world. Mm -hmm. Our understanding of the human capacity for evil has been expanded to dimensions unimagined before. This is a real paradigm shift, and we have to let that settle down on us and sink in. And so that's my primary objective, and then we can think about, well, what next? To help me reach this primary objective, I want to show how the Holocaust is unique 
to other terrible chapters in human history, other genocides, the Namibian, the Congolese, Armenian, and so forth. As a social scientist and as a Christian, the unique features that I focus on are the role of scientific authority, the role of deception and self-deception, both, and the actual location of where this took place, and that is in the heart of Christian Europe. These things are incredibly important to contemplate. The piece you mentioned about being in the heart of Christian Europe, we've all heard the stories probably of Germans who were like, we were just in church, and so when we heard the train come by, we just sang louder, <laughs> you know? Like, you hear about that kind of right. thing, and, and that is really hard to imagine. You have to sort of get into the details for the full power of what happened to kind of show itself. Yeah, and that's probably difficult to do unless you're actually there. There were some students who went on the trip with you who came back and created a documentary about what they observed and, and what they learned in that process. And even for me, you know, I haven't been to these camps. I've been to a lot of Europe, but I've never been where you guys go. And so even for me as an adult, you know, just seeing how these students responded to that was really powerful. And I can tell that it really did change them. I struggle myself going back mm. time and time again. One of the reasons why I go back is because of the reflection papers that are turned in afterwards. And I recognize that this has value. So each year, sort of a little inner struggle. How do you prepare yourself to do that over and over? I don't know why I'm constituted in such a way that I can do it. It is getting actually harder versus easier. I, I, I don't know if that means that the way I processed it has been in layers and I'm finally sort of getting deeper and deeper into mm -hmm. my soul, just the tragedy and the utter horror of the whole thing. I don't know. In terms of preparing, I'm not sure how to answer that question. It's not like I'd have something in particular that I do. I just mm -hmm. recognize that it needs to be done. I do have a sense of the weightiness of it that propels me. There are times when I purposely sort of step aside. I've done it before. I'm not ready necessarily to do it again. I lead students there, and maybe I'll distract myself in some way mm -hmm. for a bit because I know that the real potency is about ready to come. So I don't know if that's a trick of the trade or what that is, but it just comes from experience, ways to sort of insulate myself from fully feeling the brunt of the impact, I right. guess. I love that you end it on a positive note. While these students do need to learn these really hard things about humanity and the, just the state of man and being fallen, I do love how there's that redemption, kind of how, you know, there were people who were fighting against this and there were people who were rescuing thousands and thousands of people just in this one small town alone. So I think that's equally as important. These stories are powerful kind of because they're isolated, and they stand in contrast to so much else that happened. This is a story of failure, of institutional and individual failure by large. That's a much stronger theme than Christian success, if you will. And so we need to take that on board. So yes, we need to have these handrails, as my friend calls them, as we look into the horror of human evil, of these stories that remind us that there is something about the human spirit, and in fact, a redeemed person who's a Jesus follower, if in fact they incorporate these principles, can hope to act differently. But so much of institutionalized Christianity did not put up much of a resistance. I mean, they wrote letters. Mm -hmm. They 
felt distasteful about it. I mean, the best stories are letters asking that converted Jews and baptized Jews not be rounded up. Oh, goodness. And so this is like this provisional sort of resistance. And so we need to take that on board and recognize, so what is it about the life of the church, the life of the Western church, where it sort of capitulated to this new moral vision that the Nazis were presenting that were, was directly confrontational to the Christian worldview? They abhorred the Christian ethic of the strong has an obligation to the weak. That's not in nature. They rejected the notion that there's neither Jew nor Greek. That in their understanding of nature, there's gradations of humans and gradations of value, and gradations of culture. And clearly, that's the most important thing. And it's sort of distressing to see how many Christians either were intimidated or bought into this sort of new moral ethic. I mean, they, they idolized the Greeks. They wanted to go, they felt that the influence of Christianity had basically violated this fundamental law of nature. And that is that the strong trample over the weak. That is how life progresses. That is how to worship the nature God, which is very, it is a very pantheistic sort of worldview that the Nazis had. And uh, it had its own form of redemption as well, that we are going to be able to rid ourselves of imperfections and problems by breeding them out of existence. The degree to which this got traction for the Christian audience, both at the level of organizations and in individuals, is stunning and depressing to consider. And yet there are stories like La Chambon. There are stories of the Ten Boon family. I was able to go to visit uh, Yad Vashem earlier this year. And as difficult as that place is, this is the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. Mm. There are trees planted in the back for all of the people who have been identified as righteous among the nations. And it goes on and on and on. And you do see how many stories of resistance there are out there that are not told or are told by others because the person didn't survive their uh, rescue attempts. And so you do have something to hold on to there. Even when you're presenting these stories at the end, you have to draw the student's attention to the fact that the reason why we're focusing on this is because it stands in contrast to so much else that happened. That being said, why should students consider this experience? I want to first note that this experience is not just for students of history mm. or philosophy or science. I think it's for any student who's interested in exploring questions related to human value and human capacity for evil. There are many different portals sort of to get into this space. I entered through the history of my own discipline, psychology, mm -hmm. which has a longstanding fascination with the same ideas of scientific racism and classism that were found in the German academies. By the way, I want to make this point, this devaluing of of humans was not invented by the Nazis. It was adopted by the Nazis. These ideas come out of the academy in the late 1800s. You can draw a direct line from classrooms and labs mm. in the late 1800s in Germany and in the Western world in general to this notion of eugenics, which I know I haven't defined, but just sort of mm -hmm. breeding better humans, yeah. thinking of humans as farm animals, and then the more hardcore edge of it, the scientific racism part, which fully was blossoming in Germany. And so, I mean, psychologists were right there. Psychologists were like, yes, we can tell you who are the good. We can use pencil and paper tests to tell mm. you who are the more moral, who are the more intelligent, which are the best cattle to use right. for breeding, right? Uh, and yeah. so uh, this is how I got into it. But once you get into it and you get inside, you realize the space is prime for exploration. 
and you're brought face to face with many important questions about human nature. So I think it's for anyone. In fact, more than half of the students I take are not social science students. Oh. They're from across the spectrum. And yeah. it, it makes the group richer and it shows the sort of the universality of this topic. It is dark. I understand some people just need to keep their distance and I, I really understand that. As I mentioned earlier, it's getting harder and harder for me. And yet, I've also found it to be unavoidable. I mean, once you learn that it's not just monsters, that the Nazis were human just like you and me, right. and the power of ideas, and the ideas go places, and that Auschwitz happened, I'm using Auschwitz as a placeholder for all that had, took place mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. then life will never be the same. It's that powerful. Well, and I just think... If you're a Christian and you have a Christian worldview, I don't want to say, oh, well, it, it makes sense. But it's like, well, yes, humans are sinful. <laughs> and so the capacity that we have for evil is astonishing. And so that's something that we all need to remember about ourselves, just a little self-reflection. I agree. I think that as hard as it is to do this, I think that when we want to try to understand who we are as humans, we should not just consider the glorious aspects of human creativity and achievement, we have to also recognize the human wretchedness and the capacity for evil. And this is where I think Auschwitz, uh, again, using it as a placeholder, this is where it changed the paradigm. And especially for individuals in prosperous, relatively well-protected lives, we just tend to see human nature through rose-colored glasses. And we need experiences that give us a sense of the full frame, or to use a mathematical term, the full sample space mm -hmm. of what can happen. And this helps us see it as difficult as it is. If we really want to understand the situation we're in, the moral situation in which we sit and what we're capable of, then we need to find ways to draw a frame around what is possible. And Auschwitz just took, I think, what, what, the, what the dimensions that we previously thought and with the aid of technology and organization and distance from the crime, all these really interesting features and showed us just how expansive this space is. Yeah. Well, is there anything that you'd like to add in closing, Dr. Messerud? No, I appreciate the opportunity. I know this is a difficult topic. Somehow I want to communicate that the tour, as challenging as it is, is not just a two-week-long funeral march. We do a good job of stepping away and seeing the beauty of these cities and the beauty of the people in Germany and Poland. In fact, it serves in its own way as a reminder that, okay, so this capacity is here, and yet the beauty is also here. You were still designed for good. Yes, yeah. the human nature is, contains both beauty and, mm -hmm. to borrow a phrase, beauty and barbed wire, mm -hmm. and it's, it's both there. And so, and that's this trip. Even though we're looking at more at the barbed wire, we do experience the beauty, and I think it just creates an expanded platform for us to think deeply about who we are as humans and as moral beings. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This is Asbury. To learn more about Asbury University, visit asbury.edu.